Good morning. Good to have you here. It's been a rough week. Uh, uh, you know much about my dad. You know that he's been in, I guess, however you want to describe it, the grips of Alzheimer's for quite some time. So, although with the passing of anyone, it's 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 difficult, but it's also been a blessing that he has now reached his goal. And uh, it's been a rough week for a lot of people. It's you know he spoke to us you know in prayer this morning about the uh, shooting that down in Texas, and then. If you didn't watch the news this morning, you know there was one up in Dayton, Ohio, that was uh, just as vicious. You know, it doesn't really matter if you, uh, you know, were at Walmart, if you're at a nightclub, or if you're at a church. You know, there have been, you know, all kinds of things. You know, and, and it, there's one side, there's over 200 of, of these shootings so far. And I forget what the total number was. It's, it's extremely high. And so you think about that, and, and that's just not, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg of a lot of the bad news that's going on. And so even, you know, between my father's passing and the shootings, at one hand, I'm going through Ephesians, and I'm like, well, maybe we should just stop and talk about that. But on the other hand, I looked at the text after I'd, I'd you know, kind of already got the lesson going, but then this morning reviewing it, and I said, this is exactly where our world is today. And so that you saw, you see the title up there, To Faith You See. And this, when you're going through the Ephesian letter, I want you to understand it is a rejoicing letter. It is a powerful letter. It's a purposeful letter. And they're not in an easy world. They are living in the Roman Empire. You know, and it, matter of fact, sometimes when you think about the things that are going on in our nation today and, and people begin to wring their hands, they have been going on in the world around us all along and some people you know they're still trying to get in from our borders why i don't want to get politics on that but why do they want because as bad as we think things are becoming here they say it's a lot worse where we came from it's a rough world it's a world of darkness and i put this lesson together and it's based on the first 10 verses of ephesians chapter 2 but I kind of talk about this as I go through it, but I thought, well, maybe you don't see these verses. You know, maybe this is not something fresh on your mind. So we're going to take just a little bit of time. We're going to read those 10 verses before I actually get into the lesson. So if you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is the hard part. This is the struggle I don't know how to do. How to get you to not think about these verses the way you've been programmed for the past 200 years. Now, I know not all of you are 200 years old. But uh, there's, a, there's a way that we think about these in our um, struggles against the Roman Catholic Church and our struggles against Protestantism and denominationalism and the struggles, you know, of the Reformation movement and all these different things and, and picking these verses apart in order to make a doctrinal argument. I want you to see the way Paul wrote it. I want you to see the heart of God the, the truth of God and Paul's heart and the message that that church 2,000 years ago received. So let's just read these verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working, and the sons of disobedience, 
Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift of God. And not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. So that we would walk in them. If I were to ask you to describe faith this morning, you know, most of us, I think, would bolt to Hebrews chapter 11. And, you know, what it says there, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But as you read that, you also have to put that within the context of the Hebrew letter, because in the Hebrew letter, there's a lot of pressure on the Christians, especially Jewish Christians. Again, I always try and remind us, they didn't call themselves Christians back then. They just, they're believers. And so those that came from the Jewish heritage are now being pressured to deny this Messiah. The Messiah that has been prophesied for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And has finally come to realization in Jesus of Nazareth. But so now some of these Jewish believers are being pressured to give up the Messiah and go backward. And so he says, you have to hang in there. You have to be tough. You have to stick with it. Keep trusting even in the face of challenges. Because it wasn't just a, you know, a comment in the marketplace. Sometimes it was a loss of business. Sometimes it was a physical attack. And sometimes it was death. So he says, in face of all these challenges, you have to remember... Hope awaits us, and hope is something better than what we have here. And if you keep reading through Hebrews 11, you read stories about people who fought the fight of faith for they wanted something better than what this world has to offer. Look around life, you look out the window, you read the newspaper, and you say to yourself, there's got to be something better than what we have here on earth. And so then you get over towards Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, he says, talking about all of these great heroes, he says, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. He says, they made it through. Not because they received here and now what they were seeking, but knowing that there was a better place. When life becomes difficult, Sometimes that best choice that you have is to focus on that hope. As the revelation says, uh, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Now I want to stop 
and move to a different aspect of faith. Because I actually really do believe when I read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, that's the minor part of faith that has turned into the major aspect of faith for most people. That when life is difficult, we just hang in there. But that is not the picture that most of the scripture has of faith. If faith is not some Van Gogh drudgery. You ever see some of the Van Gogh's really pitiful? He's got some cool paintings. I like some of them, but some of them are just kind of scary. And sometimes I think those images, you know, that's the way we look at life. It's something you've got to tolerate here. We are going to tolerate life until we get to heaven. And again, when you think of some of the news that's been going on lately, you kind of got to tolerate it, don't you? It's a difficult place, and you, you've got to say, there's got to be better than what we see here on earth. But one of the things I think we remember is the message we call follow is called the gospel. It's called good news, and, and it's good news today. You know, somebody say, well, yeah, of course it's good news. Life here is terrible. One day there'll be heaven. And even more than that, what, what bothers me is how many people actually become Christians solely to avoid the hot spot, right? And I'm not talking where you get good Wi-Fi. I'm talking about that hot spot of hell. And so it's like, uh, you know, I really like life here on earth. It's a fun place to be, but I've heard about the future. So therefore, I want heaven, and I will tolerate it. I always remember the deacon at a church where I grew up and who saw a man come to faith in his late 70s and said, it's just not fair. He got to enjoy his entire life, and then he gets to get out a free health card. He didn't quite word exactly like that. It was pretty close. I, I don't, I'm about 14 years old at the time, and I'm thinking, I thought we were enjoying church. I thought we liked being Christians. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, and not just the get-out-of-hell-free card. Because here's some of the things you look here on this, this list here words out of different people that preach the gospel. And we'll start with Jesus. I think that's a good one to start with. And he looks at, he, at the crowd and he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Read all of that, John 10. He's not talking about pie in the sky one day. Yes, he says, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. But that's not what he's talking about in John 10. He says, you want life? I got it abundantly for you. Now and here. And then Jesus, when he talks about religion, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Do you understand? He's not saying, Endure life, you know, keep that smoke, you know, that, that, that sad look on your face, you know, and. Put the ashes on your head and wear sackcloth, but don't worry, one day it'll be okay. He's, no, he says, you come and learn from me. He says, yes, there is a yoke of life. You know, the yoke guides that beast of burden. But he says, my yoke is easy. The burden's light. The one you're carrying in this world is it's difficult. It's burdensome. It's sad. <coughs> You know, I ask, if I ask you to describe Peter's preaching, you know, probably most of us would run, run around and just quote Acts 2.38, you know, repent and be baptized. But when Luke kind of tries to say, how do we sum up the lesson of Luke? 
Here's what he does. And it's, you know, maybe this sounds a little too churchy to you, but stick with us a second. Here's, here's how Luke sums up Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. Be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, life here is not what it ought to be. The gospel takes you to where life needs to be and to what life was meant to be. I thought about Paul, too. I don't know where to start with Paul. We could just read every one of his letters and we could find out what kind of gospel he preached. But he got a chance one time to stand before a king, a governor, and I guess, uh, you know, the top model from from, uh, Jerusalem those days. And whoever else was there, and what he preaches, he pre- and he's pounding hard and heavy because he wants to convince them this gospel is what you need. He's on trial for his life, and, and it's not, he doesn't turn it into a trial for his life. He says, let me tell you what I'm preaching and why it's so important. Finally, King Agrippa's had it because he can feel the pressure. Paul is pointing the finger at him 20 different ways. He says, Paul, you're trying to get me to become a Christian, aren't you? He goes, you you'd want me to be what you are. So here's what Paul says. Yeah, I'm skipped. I, you know, I have no idea what's going on with these slides sometimes, but anyhow. Here we go. We'll, we'll just go past John's writing. We'll get at this one. I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. He says, you know, what you, what you need is exactly what I have. So we have this scarred, imprisoned Jew that's hated by so many of his own people. And he says, I've got the good life. Well, not the chains, but I have the good life. Realize what I did with the last slide? That's John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Go home and read it. I've read it to you so many times, you probably, oh, Mark, you keep hitting that same verse again. But I love it because when John preaches the gospel, he says, what we have heard, what we've seen, what our hands have handled. He goes, it was the word of life. He goes, and, you know, and we were there, we know it all, and, and we, we want to share it with you so that your joy may be complete. The gospel it's not just about one day. It's about today. And maybe it's because we know what we'll have one day that it makes today so much more beautiful. Not tolerable, but beautiful. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he describes the faith that you can see And it's not just a faith you can see, but a faith that brings joy, well-being, sanctuary. There's kind of an odd word, but, you know, maybe you're a Notre Dame Dame fan or, you know, looking for sanctuary. It's what we need. The gospel that is described for the Ephesians is a place that life is lived with meaning and with purpose. I'd say the problem is that we're kind of, we got short, short sights. You know, we're, we're, you know, one of my favorite characters is, I guess, from the Nemo, the Dora the Fish, you know, because I feel like her a lot of times. The older I get, the more I feel like her, you know. It's, you're on a mission and you know what it is, and you can be distracted by whatever little shiny thing that you happen to see. Well, life here 
has purpose. But we get easily distracted, sidetracked, forgetful. And that's actually one of the reasons you have the Word of God is to keep you focused. And that's also why we're here as a church, to keep each other focused. That's just one aspect. That's not the whole thing. So part of that is to remember what your life used to be and compare that to what it is. And here's where it gets difficult because it depends on what gospel you obeyed and what gospel you continue to obey today. So we have that very first part there where he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He goes, and you lived like the world lives. And he goes, and it's still there in control for most people. And then, I like it because Paul then says, and we too lived like that. That's kind of a Jew-Gentile thing going on there. Because this is a church that's, remember, you know, very multicultural, multi-ethnical, multi-religious you know, background, multi-social network. So in some ways he's saying, okay, you Gentiles, this, you used to live like terrible people. Because guess what? So did we. We did the same thing. So whether he's talking to the Ephesians as a whole and saying, well, me and my team, we know where you're coming from, or whether it's a comparison between the Jew and Gentile, either way, he says, we were all by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And think of children of wrath. What does that mean? Does that mean, you know, God's watching you, and he's just about had it with you. And so, you know, sooner or later... You know, I remember Popeye was always watching when he was, you know, I've stood all I can stands and I can't stands no more. If you don't know those lines, go back and Google them. I'm sure you can find them on YouTube or something. That's not what he talks about with the children of wrath. Children of wrath is what you're reading about in the newspaper. Children of wrath is what you're seeing on YouTube. Children of wrath is what you see in general society. Children of wrath is what you see when you go down to the social programs in every county across this nation. He says, that's the way we used to live. We used to live like these children of wrath. And Paul reminds these pioneers of faith of what was and what now is in Christ Jesus. People who heard the gospel in Ephesus, they already knew what life had to offer, you know, as Solomon would say, under the sun. You know, not looking up, just here. It wasn't good. These people in Ephesus came from a world that promised everything and gave them nothing. Does that sound familiar to you? I don't care what your age is. Think it through. I don't get the idea that everybody in Ephesus was just this you know, mean, nasty, evil person. You know, the Ephesian Valley and the rest of the Roman Empire, you know, there's a lot of evil going on there. You know, remember what, kind of what Paul said when he talked to the Corinthians. He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revelers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That's the world they came from, and they knew it. Children of wrath is, is what he says here in Ephesians. And there's where I think we really, one of our big difficulties 
And this culture in particular, ours, is really, you know, I, I remember coming home from mission work after five years in Brazil and one of the first months or two of the sermon that I preached when asked as a guest speaker to preach, I, I talked about how pagan the American society is. I got called on the carpet for that. We're God's people. What Bible was he reading? I'm not sure. Yeah. I've heard of the cotton patch version, but that was a little ridiculous. We don't see the world for what it really is. Sometimes not until it's too late. And I fear that too many of us came here, people even in this room came to a faith for heaven and heaven alone. Not realizing that there's a beauty of the gospel to be had here and now. We were dead in our trespasses. We were by nature children of wrath. And that's the faith that we're going to live before this world. So he goes on to talk about it. And he says, but God being rich in his mercy because he loves us. Man, it's a big love, he says. I'm, I'm, I'm ab living here. He says, we were dead. And all the things that we did in the wrong direction... He made, he, not we, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. By God's good will, by God's favor, by God's grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him. And seated us with the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He seated us. Verb tenses are really important both in English and in Greek. He didn't say one day you'll be seated with God. In the heavenly places. He says, that's where you're living now. That's where your life is now. And compare that to the world that you came from. Paul's taking his time as he presents the challenge of living by faith. And we're not going to really get into a lot today. You know, I'm sitting here counting the weeks, a little saying, you know, when, when are you going to be out of town? You know, he's kind of anxious. Kind of, but uh, <laughs> I'll be here next week and I'll be the wake here after that. And then I'll be gone for a while, and then I guess we'll try and come back and finish Ephesians at that point. <clears throat> Read it on your own. You'll, it's a great story without me. But he's saying, let me, let me, before I put to you the challenge of faith, let me remind you of what you were and what you got and how you got it. By God's favor. God's gracious choice. And we really stumble over that word grace because of denominational battles. You know, too many look at grace as some kind of pixie dust that God kind of floats down on top of your head and, and boy, you know, you're, you're just, you're better than Peter Pan now. Grace is just, because God loves you so much, he does something gracious for you. That's all it is. And he does it. And that's going to be Paul's number one point because there is a little bit of a struggle here between the Jews and the Gentiles. There are some of these Jewish people saying, yeah, we believe in the Messiah called Jesus, but you guys really need to get with the program. You've got to do better. You've got to earn it. You've got to show us that you're worthwhile. You've got to show us that you're worthy. And Paul's message throughout this is, no, you aren't worthy. He took you out of the sewer. And by his grace made you what you are. Not by your intelligence, your efforts, your struggles, your merits. We won the grand prize. And 
all you had to do was say yes. Oh, I know that's got some, some of the heads spinning right now because they're scared to death that we're going to go and preach something. Let's just stick with the gospel and forget what the, the religious wars are saying. Life here has no pro- hope, no promise of hope. That's what you're reading about in the newspapers. That's what you're watching on the television. That's what you're seeing on their Twitter account. That's why life here is so desperate. It's too often we as people, and this nation in particular, and I'm going to, why should I pick on the people in Bulgaria? You know, Lowell already got them on them for their roads. But you're not in Bulgaria, so let's not worry about them. Let's worry about the culture that you and I live in that is Satan's culture that pulls us in so often and fools us. There's a glaring difference between New Testament Christians Christians, and what I'll call New Age Christians. People who respond to the gospel in those days, they embrace the good news and they embrace the good life. Gospel living is what I'll call it. Too many of us today are still in love with the darkness. And sometimes I think we have entire churches. I'm not worried about some denominations. I just never, first I've had American Christians. Now, however you define that, I've narrowed it down to American Church of Christ. Let's not worry about what the fourth primitive tabernacle of the third resurrection church says. Let's just worry about ourselves. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have entire churches that are wolves walking around in sheep's clothing. Because we manage to fool ourselves about the gospel, we manage to fool ourselves about faith. We have people who want to go to heaven, but what's the country music song say? But not right now. Here and now, we still think that this world's going to give us happiness. Here and now, the churches are filled with people who fear judgment one day, but are still chasing after that, you know, the little carrot on the stick that you put in front of the animal. You know, the world has a carrot on a stick like that, doesn't it? That it dangles in front of us. And we keep chasing after it. When you read Ephesians, you see a whole different view of faith and a whole different view of life because I think Paul and the Ephesians themselves already faced reality. This letter is kind of a reminder. The good news is rich. And the first part of the good news is you don't have to chase after it. You don't have to accomplish anything. God just opens his arms and he says, come. So Paul then, before he even can tell us how to live our life, he says, this is what you have to have in the root of your faith, the root of your belief. By God's grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we'd walk in them. By God's good grace, by God's overloving favor, you have been saved through faith. And there's the imperative for your hope. You have to understand what that word faith is. I've got four minutes to explain it to you. Don't worry. I can stay here a couple more hours. No. We'll work on that in future lessons. But for now, 
So many passages come to mind when you think of what defines faith. And I put a few of them up here. Just Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I really think that was pretty important because you find it four times in Scripture. Starting with Genesis and then on into the New Testament. Abraham believed God, he trusted God, and, and that gave him the standing with God that he needed. And when you read about that in the New Testament, especially Paul, his point is, he didn't earn it. Romans chapter 10, it's just filled with so many beautiful things that I just, I've just kind of pulled pieces out of there. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, please forget the denominational debate wars of grace versus work and read what God is trying to say in those verses. We put our confidence in God. We put our confidence in God's word and in God's ways. That's what it means to have faith, and that's what it means to trust in God. And it, it, so many times, I can find people that will agree with me. They'll agree with me on instrumental music. They'll agree with me on the Lord's Supper once a week. They'll agree, agree, all kinds of baptism. But then when it comes to a moral issue, when it comes to a social issue, I don't think or I don't feel, and all of a sudden, we no longer trust God. You know, Genesis says Abraham believed God and is reckoned him as righteousness, but there were times where Abraham said, God, I don't think you have this one right. Let's do it my way. Well, those are not days of faith. I fear sometimes that those on the left and those on the right side of the arguments have both missed the target. And I'm tired of the fool's debate that goes on so many times in churches. Which ritual, which ritual is it that's going to save you? Because you've got two popular rituals out there that will save you. One is the sinner's prayer. And the other one is a dunking in water. Which one saves you? Paul says a life of faith is what saves you. Well, we can get into all the scriptures on baptism, and they're powerful. You know, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on his name. We are baptized into his death. We are clothed with Christ in baptism. All kinds of good scriptures. Faith is what saves you. And faith is not, I believe, in Santa Claus. It's God said it. I believe it. And I live it. It has nothing to do with earning your hope. There's no magic prayer you can say. There's no special, you know, the water's just water. We live by faith. Faith, though, is something that you can see. And the good life, when it's lived, trusting in God, is undeniable. Faith in God is a God killer. Not our God, but all the other gods. Faith in Christ destroys all those other gods so completely that the silversmiths start getting a little nervous. They groan, they protest, and they complain. It's amazing how often the name Christian is spat upon in today's world. 
Oh, don't let that make you nervous. They understand. They see the light. And not everybody appreciates the light. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he says, that's where faith comes to life. Now that you can be reminded, what was what was it that you fled from? It was a world that just didn't offer any hope, any reason, any purpose, any meaning. And how did you arrive to where you are? Well, God did all the work for you. All you did was trust in him, to believe in him. And now what? He says, we're here for good works. And God prepared them ahead of time that we'd walk in them. Which good works? Well, that's hard to say when you're already out of time. I guess the sky's the limit. We love, we share, we lift up, we embrace, we cry, we laugh, we guide one another, we teach one another, and we live a life before a world that thinks that religion is about rules, regulations, and rituals, and they wonder about us, because that's not us. So we'll just go back to the words of Christ in our lesson today. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Faith is something that even the world can see. You and I are saved by grace through faith. Live that faith. It's what you were created to be. You don't earn it. You just live it. If your faith seems pretty difficult, I kind of almost wonder what faith it is that you really possess. Yeah, we're only in 10 verses, and we haven't even got to the theme verse. That's chapter 3. That's a little bit, hopefully we'll get to that before I leave for my trip. But faith is a life trusting in God, in God's way. Not your opinion, not your, not your emotions. We don't take a ballot poll. You know, this morning somebody said, well, Mark said, and I stopped that one, and immediately I said, well, I read the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark didn't say that. Uh, but do I do remember Paul saying that over in Romans? And I don't want you talking about this mark. Who cares what this mark says? As long as we care what God's word says. And you do a Berean, you do a Berean trick on me all the time. Check me out. Find out, you know, well, Mark said that. <laughs> Was he right? Go with God's word, trusting in him and having faith. By grace you have been saved, by faith, not of your works. You just trust in God. Do you have to be at church every week? I think you're asking the wrong question. And if the only way I can get you to come to church is that you've got to be at church every week, you know. You know, Sue's got a tablet. We know when you missed. Well, we do actually, but it's not because we're trying to get on you. We just, we care about you. Do you have to be at church? If that's your level of faith, I don't think you quite understand the love of God. I don't think you're really wanting to flee that world that's out there. It's not always perfect. Sometimes a preacher is extremely boring. But this is where I want to be. And my dad is where I ultimately want to be. Whatever your need, we ask you to come now as we stand and sing. I travel down a lonely road.